Welcome to the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we explore the interesting lives of business leaders, entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and others who have a healthy dose of the entrepreneurial spirit. It is time to explore something cool. Now, here is your host, Tom Singer. Hello to all of you entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, business leaders, and anybody with the entrepreneurial spirit. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. And today's guest, well, he's been called an uncommonly honest author by the God Boston Globe. Now, if you think about that, that's kind of cool because maybe not all authors are quite that honest. I don't know. He also has been called a marketing guru by the Wall Street Journal and a sales guru by the Financial Times. Our guest today is Michael Port, and he is a New York Times bestseller of five books, including Book Yourself Solid. Now, I got to go back in time a little more than a decade. Before Michael was the guru of uh, sales and marketing and book writing, Michael used to host a little call back before there was all this great technology. It was just a free call in line called, and he had a thing called Book Yourself Solid uh, when that book first came out. And I used to call in to Michael's call, and there'd be, I don't know, a couple of dozen people at max on the call, sometimes less, and maybe sometimes more. But I always liked Michael because he had this best-selling book that had just come out, and yet he was really approachable. So when John Corcoran, who was a guest several uh, episodes ago, said, would you like to interview Michael Port? I said, absolutely, because I have always been a big fan of Michael. Now, he's also probably one of the few sales and marketing gurus who you can say had a guest star, was a guest star on shows like Sex in the City, Law and Order, Third Watch, all My Children, and was in the Pelican Brief. Go figure, not every day do we interview people who've had that kind of credentials. These days, Michael can be seen regularly on MSNBC, CNBC, and PBS as an on-air expert in communication and business development. That's a lot to say, but Michael's worth it. Michael, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Thank you very much. It's very cool to be here. <laughs> so let's, uh, I've given kind of that overview that comes with your official bio. Mm. However, why don't you tell the audience a little bit about your business? Well, you know, I'm just a regular guy trying to get a nut. You remember that Will Smith song? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and uh, you know, I like when my bio is read because it, you know, it makes me feel uh, proud about my accomplishments. And I'm, I'm much more focused on results than I am approval. And when I was younger, I think I was focused more on approval. But as a business owner, you know, it's essential to focus on results. So, you know, I have two different businesses. One is the Book Yourself Solid brand, and we have uh, the Book Yourself Solid mentoring program and the Book Yourself Solid school of coach training where we license uh, folks, consultants, who want to use our intellectual property. And then the other business is called Heroic Public Speaking. And I've taken my classical training as an actor. I have an MFA from the NYU graduate acting program and my years of experience uh, at the top of the keynote circuit, at the business speaking circuit, and have combined them to teach performance to public speakers because I think a lot of times when people are speaking, they're just sharing information and they're not performing. And the combination of performance and great content is what makes a great speaker. So those are the two different things that we do. So, you know, you bring up the fact that, you know, it's uh, when you read the formal bio, you know, you said, oh, that's my accomplishments. And I always say that those formal bios are written for your mom because <laughs> I bet your mom loves to hear that bio. You know, it's actually, yeah, yeah, I think to a certain extent. I think bios are actually very important. I think that most bios are much too long. 
just in general, especially when, you know, someone's going to give a speech or do a podcast interview. But I think that it's important for an audience to respect the speaker or the person being interviewed before they uh, open their mouth. And still, if you don't know somebody, it takes a little time to decide if you're going to truly trust them and, and truly respect them. But at least you hear like, oh, they know some things that I need to know. So let's start there. And I think it's, it's helpful. So um, you know, if we if we can get some of the credentials right in the into the bio in the beginning, it's important. But what I think we should leave out of bios are what we stand for, our philosophy, the way we see the world, because I think that's those are the things that we should introduce ourselves uh, when being interviewed or when giving a speech. So, Michael, you know, you talk about your heroic public speaking brand. And I got to tell you, I think you are so on the money as someone who, I mean, that's how I earn my living is I'm a professional speaker and professional master of ceremonies. Yeah. And so many times I'll be speaking and I'll, I'll share the stage, as you will, at a conference with people. And, and I'm not famous. I don't have a New York Times bestseller and, and all that stuff. But I'll share the stage with people who have awesome credentials. Yeah. And they get up and just, it's like, wah, 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 wah. Yeah. And it's like, did nobody ever teach you how mm. to actually connect with the audience or why? And, and do you even care? And yeah. so the fact that you're out there teaching this, I mean, just makes me so excited. What is some of the, the pushback you get from maybe business professionals or pseudo famous people or even famous people when it mm. comes to actually have to put in the work to learn how yeah. to speak? So, so fortunately, I don't get too much pushback um, on on the way I see the world around performance because most people get it. And I think that where I do get the pushback is on the amount of work I ask a speaker to do before they get on stage. Because usually when you ask a speaker, you know, what kind of rehearsal did you do for this speech? They say, oh, well, I ran through it a few times in my hotel room, you know, the morning before I did it. <laughs> and that's not rehearsal. The, 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 if, you know, look, I come from, I was an actor. So I did plays, you know, Shakespeare, Chekhov, I mean, you know, the greatest writers in the world. And you didn't read the play and then go perform it that night for 4,000 people. You, you worked for months and months on it, so, you know, nine hours a day. And so that's the way that I see our work as performers. And what happens often when you are a, a content developer, when you are an author, is you think it's the information that's most important. And the information, of course, is important. But you think, well, if I know the information, I can just talk to them about the information and that will be enough. But when you're on the stage, the, st the stage is a place for performers. It is a place where you entertain others. And that doesn't mean that you have to be a comedian. It doesn't mean that you, know, you have to do a song and dance and put on a, a show. Uh, but it means uh, that we need to recognize how important performance is as it relates to our work. So I think the revolution keynote that I do is more of a one man show. It's how it feels. You can see a trailer of it or a 16 minute extended trailer on YouTube. If you just search for think big revolution. And I probably put between content development and rehearsal, I probably put 400 hours into that before I performed it for the audience for the first time. And so the pushback I often get is, well, I don't want to do that much rehearsal. I don't have time to do that much rehearsal. But if you're a professional speaker, I mean, you know, come on. You know, this is, it's the professional is the key, you know, is the operative word in that particular phrase. So that, that I think is expected for professionals. And even folks who are not professionals but are using it to demonstrate their credibility, build an audience, et cetera, I think the same thing applies because uh, it really takes a lot of work. Now, here's the other thing. This is the, this is the, 
mistake that I made in the beginning. This is the trouble that I ran into, and I think a lot of folks uh, run into this as well. You're good on your feet. You got the gift of gab, and you're funny. So you think you can wing it. <laughs> so you do, and you do an okay job. You do a fine job, and people might even say, hey, I really liked what you did. That was great. But you know that it's average. You know you're capable of much more, but you don't know how to rehearse. And that's, that's one of the things that a professional actor learns, that it is a skill to rehearse. It is not just something you, you know, you don't just go over it again and again and again. There is skill, there's methodology, there's protocol behind rehearsing. So once you learn that protocol, that methodology for rehearsal, then you know what to do to rehearse. And of course, then your performances get better and better and better. Now, here's another thing. When you start rehearsal, in the, first, in the beginning stages of rehearsal, you actually feel like you're going backwards. You start to feel a little more stuck. You start to feel a little more staged. You start to feel a little bit more stiff. And that's usually where people stop rehearsing because they get scared that it's going to hurt them. They say, no, no, no. If I rehearse, then I'm not as quick on my feet. But that's because they haven't gone so far in their rehearsal process that they know their material so well, inside and out, backwards and forwards, that they can be in the moment, that they can walk on stage blank their, you know, slate, wipe the slate clean as if they have not prepared. But because they are so prepared, they can be in the moment. And it seems like what they're creating exists only in that moment. It's the first time it's ever been shared. And that requires an extensive amount of rehearsal. God, I love what you're saying. And I hope that everybody goes back and rewinds and listens to that whole thing that you just did again, because I, I mean, you're speaking to the choir. I was sitting there thinking, boy, if you and I popped a bottle of red wine and, you know, sat in a bar, we could talk about this for hours because yes. my, my mentor told me years ago, you know, that there's a ton of people, especially business professionals and celebrities who think they're really good and they wing it. And the reason they think they're really good is that yeah. when they come off stage, people come up and say, hey, great speech. Yeah. And so they think, oh, I must be great. He said, right. but we live in a polite society. So what else are you going to say to somebody? Oh, that you kind of just phoned it in? People just say, <laughs> they walk up to you and say, hey, great speech. Right. And, so, and so my personal mantra when like people ask me, hey, we're trying to find a speaker, you know, we want to get someone in our industry or whatever. My personal mantra that I recommend to everybody is just because someone's smart or they've done something cool doesn't mean they belong on stage. They have mm -hmm. to actually have the experience and the skill and be willing to to rehearse. Mm -hmm. they, they say like with TED Talks, a lot of people think the reason they're so great is because they're 18 minutes long. And the mm -hmm. actual reason that the great ones are great is many of those people rehearse 40 to 60 hours oh, yeah. before doing a TED or a TEDx talk. Easily, easily. So one of the things that I'm so happy about is that my colleagues are really, really diving into this work with me. They, you know, sometimes when you don't know that something exists, or you don't know that something is possible, you, you, you know, you don't have an alternative. You, you don't, you don't even know that you're supposed to do the thing that you're supposed to do. But when you see a glimmer of it, just a glimpse, and you are, you are somebody who believes that the future belongs to the learner, not the learned, then you dive you know, right in, you jump on it. And so I run master, I mean, I run master classes and we have a big event e each year uh, called Horo Public Speaking Live. And, you know, s there are as many people in that audience there who are twenty-five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 as are brand new. And what some of these folks are doing is they're putting together their own little groups and saying, Michael, you know, uh, we want to come 
and just the six of us want to work for a couple days, we just don't want to do it in a public group because, you know, we're all name performers. So we want to do this kind of work in private. Uh, and they're, they're, and they're, they're doing it. They're, they're getting it. So I think what we're doing is we're really sweeping the industry. Uh, and I, I'm going to, you're going to start, I really believe you'll start to see overall at the conferences you go to, you'll start to see the quality uh, improve, the bar will raise. Because on one hand, we're saying there's an enormous amount of work to do, but the other hand, the bar actually is not set that high. Right, I agree. So there, you, a few simple things can dramatically change the performance. For example, let's just get some nitty-gritty technical things right, right, right off the bat. When we tell a story, we don't need to say, let me tell you a story. <laughs> because that's not generally how people tell you stories. And if an audience thinks you're going to tell a story, then they sit back and go, oh, okay, here goes one of those speaker stories. The best stories are the ones we don't realize we're in until we're engaged and engrossed in the story. So we don't need to say, let me tell you a story. You just actually tell a story. You also don't need to open a speech with a story. Sometimes that uh, sounds a little bit uh, forced, contrived, or you know, like the speaker was told he's supposed to open with a story. We also can, can stay away from things like, I'm really happy to be here. Oh, yeah, of course absolutely. you're happy to be here. What's the alternative, that you're really pissed that you're there? I think that's one of the worst things that people do is they come out and they thank the audience for having them and they, they re-recite their bio and, right. and they go through this whole thing. And, and, and right. I think that that first two or three minutes, you've yep. got to be doing something of value. Of course. And then what will happen is they'll say, okay, let's get started. But it started the second the person started introducing you. That's when it started. It started before you even came on stage. So this idea that, you know, you're getting started when you say let's get started means everything you did prior was completely useless. So you just filled up the beginning with wasted uh, information, wasted, you know, ideas, wasted, wasted time. Uh, additionally, we don't. We, we, it's a good idea to stay away from. If you take one thing away from this talk today, because of course that means you could have just said that one thing in about three minutes and you know let them go off and have a nice lunch. That means what you said otherwise wasn't that important. So we negate the other things that we said when we say if you take just one thing away from this, there should be everything that you are sharing should be worth taking away. So Michael, I want to stay for just a minute on this idea of speaking and why do you think it's so important? Because I, I do and I think, you know, I think I know where you're going to go with this. Why do you think it's so important for entrepreneurs and people who run businesses and are growing some sort of an enterprise to mm. improve their speaking skills? Well, if you talk to most venture capitalists who are funding startups, they will tell you that they often are investing in the individual even more than the idea. Because lots of people have great ideas, but not everybody can make these ideas realized. And so if you get a, if you get a great entrepreneur, they can take a mediocre idea and they can make money with it. So the way that you communicate influences the way people think about you. Everything you say and everything that you do, of course, tells somebody something about you. So for example, if you're giving a speech or you're trying to impress uh, an idea upon someone, trying to get them to feel something, to do something, to think something, and you use a lot of absolutes, then they may find you less credible. Now, this may fly in the face of what some of the marketers tell you, is that you, you know, some of the marketers may say, when you are trying to convince somebody of something, you say 
They have to do this. This is the only way. There is no other way, that kind of thing. Uh, but the fact of the matter is most sophisticated people will trust you less when they hear you use a lot of absolutes. So what you'll notice in my language is you'll hear me say, it seems like this. Many people this, not all people. I might say it's often this way, which then allows people to make their own decision. It makes, allows them to either enter into that uh, conversation uh, or not based on their own decision. But if I use absolutes, it's too easy for them to write me off because when you're trying to convince somebody of something, when you're asking somebody to change the way they see the world, that's, that's, that's a big, big request. It's a big ask, and it may be confronting to them. And one of the things that we're doing as influencers is often bringing confronting ideas to people. And if you use an absolute, it makes it too easy for them to say no because they may say, oh, you know what? That's not true. That's not true. Because if I say, you know, nobody likes earwax flavored ice cream. <laughs> now, you may think yeah, that's a legitimate statement, but <laughs> there could be, and the billions of people in this world, somebody who would like to eat earwax flavored ice cream. Yuck, but okay. <laughs> so they may say, look, I, I, I know, my, I think my sister likes earwax flavored ice cream. You see, I use that example because it's so extreme, but it, but it, it demonstrates the point. I think that there could be somebody who likes earwax flavored ice cream. So I might say, instead of saying everybody likes, nobody likes earwax flavored ice cream, I might say, it, it seems like nobody would like it, or I would be surprised if anybody liked earwax flavored ice cream, because it's still allowing for somebody to like earwax flavored ice cream. I'm just saying I'd be surprised if anyone did. Well, and there's a lot of people out there who love to be contrarian. So it doesn't matter what you say. If you give an absolute, they're going to push back. So I think that you're giving great advice. So, yeah. So interestingly enough, you know, when we are trying to make an argument or uh, trying to give a speech, we want to we want to make it as sound as we can. So we don't want a lot of holes in the boat. So, you know, we, we want to make sure we plug uh, the holes in our argument. However, it seems that it's contradictory to say we should allow more openings by not using absolutes because well doesn't that put holes but these are the kind of openings that people can come through to get on your boat right to get in the boat with you uh, and then if the rest of it is is uh is solid you know they'll, they'll probably come along for the ride so you went to school for acting and you've taken mm -hmm. that into your career as an author and a speaker and a consultant and coach. Now, yeah. did you ever have a regular job, what the rest of us would consider was a regular job? Did you ever work for a bank or an accounting firm or, or did you drive <laughs> a, a delivery truck? For no. no. Um, yes, I did have a regular job for a number of years. I was in the fitness industry on the business side and uh, I liked it. I really did. I, it was a fun industry to be in. Uh, I found uh, that I could apply a lot of my creativity uh, to the work, even though I was on the business side. And I spent four years there, and then another year uh, in the back in the entertainment business on the business side as well. So I did work for others in mm, a corporate type of environment where they had mission statements and you know procedures to follow and red tape and all that kind of stuff. And I did enjoy. Uh, much of my time there, but I just couldn't not be leading the charge. Couldn't do it because I move so quickly. I mean, this is one of my gifts as an entrepreneur. I think it's very, very important uh, for entrepreneurs to have urgency in what they're doing. It's, it's important because they're often fighting 
time. They're often racing against the clock. And I had such urgency, and when I saw a problem, I wanted to solve it. But often, I'd have to go through so many layers when I was in the corporate world to get the problem solved. By the time I got a yes, the problem was so uh, big that it was almost unmanageable. Or we just lost a lot of money or, you know. And that was hard. So I often fly under the radar. Now, that sometimes caused some problems because, you know, there's a protocol to follow. Now, fortunately, when I flew under the radar, most of the time, I was successful. So I would get that kind of like, Michael, don't do that again, but we're really happy you solved the problem kind of thing. So I just figured, you know what, I'm not going to fly under the radar anymore. I'm just going to, you know, go out on my own, do it myself. So what do you absolutely love about the lifestyle of working for yourself? I love choice. I mean, that's a big part of, of my DNA is choice and freedom. And I feel like I have choice and freedom in my life that, that most people don't have. And I feel like the luckiest guy in the world. Like, as I said at the beginning, I'm a regular guy. I'm just, this morning, I'm, you know, talking to the painters about, you know, we keep having some rooms painted here. I'm getting my son off to school. You know, I'm doing the bills and, you know, just regular kind of stuff that everybody else does. And this one I can say everybody because this is a pretty universal thing. We pay bills and, you know, we have those kinds of things we have to deal with in life. So I'm not, a, and I'm not any different than other people. Maybe what's different is that I feel capable. Maybe what's different is that I feel that if I really want to do something, I can figure out how to do it. And that, that is important uh, as an entrepreneur. That, that is a very, very important uh, for me as an entrepreneur and that kind of urgency. I want to make things happen. So when I was in the corporate world, it just I couldn't go fast enough. And I've never been accused of having any patience. So uh, I feel like I can go as fast as I want. And sometimes I go too fast and screw things up, so I have to slow myself down. But, uh, but yeah, that's, that's the gift. It's just a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. And I, I think it's not for everybody. It's a high, it's a high risk. Um, way of living and and you know everything falls on your shoulders and if things work it's great and if they don't you know you can only look to yourself you can't blame anybody else so if you like to blame other people uh, for your you know mistakes or failures this is a tough tough uh, <laughs> way to live God, if you, if, right I mean if you if you take responsibility and you're comfortable with responsibility and that's another thing too I think that I have found is that my level of success is often directly proportionate to the amount of responsibility I can handle. Well, and the more that I can handle at once, the more, um, uh, the more that I can, the more that I can handle emotionally, the more that I can handle physically, uh, the, the more I'm able to accomplish. And I, I like that feeling. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you got to, well, I got to put on my big boy, you know, dishes today. <laughs> I, love what, uh, I yeah. love what you said a minute ago, though, that if you're the type of person who likes to blame all your problems on someone else, this isn't the life for you. <laughs> it's and, it's and a I, tough life to live. I mean, you can try it. It's just tough. I think that should be a no t-shirt. To- that should be on a shirt. <laughs> yeah, there's just nobody to blame. You can't. You can't. I mean, you can try. I mean, I have uh, I have lots of people who uh, work with me, and I could certainly say, "Oh, someone so didn't do this," but you know what? That's not going to get me too far. It's not going to make them happy. And the fact of the matter is, I'm responsible ultimately for everything that does or doesn't happen here. 
So if there's someone listening to this show and they feel like you did, they feel like they're trying to fly under the radar and just do things and, and they have this pang to to want to have choice and be in charge, what advice do you have to somebody who who's maybe working a job where they, they feel maybe they have their ladder against the wrong wall? Mm, so they want to start their own business, they want to get out and do it? Sure. I think that it helps to, to try to reconfigure what you have to turn it into what you want. Sometimes I've seen folks who are disappointed or dissatisfied, disenchanted with what they're doing, rebel against what they're doing, and try to start something else completely different from scratch. When I left the fitness industry, I was trying to figure out what to do, and I said, well, let's focus on, let's focus on personal branding because you know, I had about 500 people in my department, and, and they were independent contractors for the most part. And the ones who were most successful had the most uh, compelling personal brand identities. And so I really got a, I really understood what worked in that particular industry. And I thought it could apply to lots of different industries. But I felt, well, wouldn't it be, wouldn't the fastest way to, to build up this business, wouldn't it be to focus on this industry, but as a, as a consultant, as a coach type, rather than working for somebody else inside the industry? And let me focus on something that I have some experience with. Even though, you know, I like the industry, I wanted to get away from it. I did at the time want something else. But I figured if I rebel against this industry, if I rebel against what I've been doing, it's going to be harder to create what I want. And, and that was really helpful because sometimes I see such a dramatic shift away from what you're doing that the people that you've met, so the network that you have, the experience that you have, it gets thrown away. And, and you're not able to leverage it in the same way that, if, that you could if you were focusing on uh, the industry in some way, you know, where you came from or what you know uh, about that particular type of work. So, Michael, I call the show Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Mm. So what is the coolest thing you're doing right now? Mm. There's so many things. It's impossible. Everything is cool. <laughs> Uh, the, the coolest thing that I think I'm doing right now uh, is being incredibly, I'd say, bold about this work we're doing around performance. Because the Book Yourself Solid brand, I, I've, I've been building that for 13 years now, and that's a really strong brand. And we, we run that really well, and we've got incredible mentoring programs and the licensing program. I mean, they're all strong. And I'm really well known for that. But I... I feel this work we're doing around performance, I think it's going to change the industry. I really do. And I, you know, it's great because I, I, have no, I have no qualms. And I can say I feel like with all the humility in the world to say I, I don't think there is anyone who is better at what I do in this area. That doesn't mean that I'm better than everybody. This make this important difference. I'm not saying that. I'm saying I don't think you're going to find anybody better. Because what we're doing is so unique, and I really think we're going to change uh, the industry in a big way. And to have that feeling, I also say this because to have the feeling to know that you can say that confidently, with pride, without arrogance, that's a great feeling to have. I mean, that's a powerful place to be, to stand in your own two shoes and know that you can look at somebody and you can say, without arrogance, without hyperbole, without bravado, you can say, honestly, I think the best thing for you would be me. And that feels 
great. That's cool. Yeah. So, so Michael, I also think some of the best entrepreneurs are observers. Mm. So we mm. could talk about Michael Port and all the amazing stuff that you do and that you've done. Mm. But I also think that the best entrepreneurs are watching what others are doing. So who's yeah. someone out there that you see that you say, wow, he or she, they're really crushing it? Mm. There's, there's a guy who is in, the, in our graduate program in heroic public speaking named John Pollock. And we had one of our... Um, one of our week sessions uh, two weeks ago. And this is where I first got to know him, really. And he has a company called Financial Gravity. And I think they are killing it. I think he's turning the accounting industry upside down. Look, as, as small business owners, we're in a, often a, a difficult tax uh, situation. You know, we, we, we've got a lot of red tape. We've got a lot of tax issues to be concerned with, a lot of financial issues to be concerned with, you know, a lot of uh, investment issues to be concerned with, you know, uh, to prepare for the future, et cetera. And I think these are major, major issues that most of us don't pay a lot of attention to because it's not something we're taught. Um, you get a lot of different information from a lot of different places. And, you know, I've been using different accountants for a number of years, and I just keep feeling like I pay more and more tax every year that I really don't think I should be paying. I mean, it's just extraordinary the amount of tax that I pay. And, and I think a lot of uh, small business owners feel this way. And I was talking to him, and, and he made a guarantee to me. He says, I guarantee um, that I can, you know, you give me X amount of money, I can double that in tax savings. I was like, really? You can make a statement like that? He's like, absolutely. Because what they do is they're attorneys who have focused on tax savings uh, and profit production. And they've created this whole model that I just think is absolutely brilliant. And, and I won't go into it because I don't think that's you know, um, necessary for the conversation. But, but I'm just really impressed at how they're taking a particular industry and they're turning it upside down. They're, they're looking at it from a different perspective. They're not looking at it from a typical accounting perspective. They're looking at it from um, a tax organization and legal perspective. So everything they're doing is legal and absolutely follows the tax code, but they are taking an entirely different perspective. And that's interesting to me. So that's the reconfigure what already exists and turn it into what you want, turn it into something better. And when they explained the model to me, I said, boom, here's the money. I'm in. Done. Let's do it. Because I had been it's sort of like, you know, you ever been, you ever been waiting for something or somebody for, for a long, long time? And you go, oh, my God, I finally feel like I found the person for me or I found the, you know, the solution to the problem I've been looking for. And that, I, I think, is really cool. And they're, you know, they're, go, they're, they're going to get all public. I mean, they're like a major, major, you know, uh, operation and they're going around the country. They're buying up accounting firms, you know, left and right to reconfigure these whole firms to make them really about tax savings and not just plugging numbers into a, a computer and, you know, printing on a form, signing it and send it to the IRS uh, and not really actually helping your clients uh, save uh, money on taxes. Wow. And it's called financial gravity. Financial gravity, that's what they're called, yeah. Excellent. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look that up. And I, and I also yeah. like the fact you say where you, you ever feel like you're sitting waiting for something and you just feel it's never going to come and then boom, it's right there. Yeah. You know, I was talking to a person the other day and she had been looking to hire an executive coach. 
And she'd interviewed probably 20 people over several years. And I asked her how that was coming and she found somebody. And she was like, she said the exact same thing. She goes, it's like you were waiting and they finally walked in the door and it was the right person. And, you know, she was so excited. And so it's funny that you phrased that in that manner because that's the second time this week someone has said the right person just walked through the door. Yeah. Well, I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. And I'm, I'm not an accountant. I'm not an attorney. Don't anybody take this as accounting advice, legal advice. But this is what I learned about my particular business. And I cannot believe that of all of the financial advisors, of all of the accountants that I've worked for, worked, that have worked for me for over the years, nobody suggested I do this. But I have multiple companies. And they're LLCs. And I've always filed Schedule C, which means all of um, the income is earned income which means it's taxed in, in for my income at the highest tax bracket. That's a lot of money. So, so that's one way of filing, but you can also file as what's called an S-corp. And an S-corp, uh, of course, uh, pays payroll tax. You, you know, people are on salaries, et cetera. But then profit is taxed as a distribution or, or also known as a dividend. And that's at a much lower tax rate. That's at about a 20% tax rate. So instead of close to 40%, it's 20%. So what that means is you simply set up the company, you pay yourself a reasonable salary, and this is all completely legal and millions and millions of people do this. I just can't believe that I wasn't advised to do this after you know, 13 years of being in a, you know, a business working with multiple accounts and financial advisors. And that means that I get paid a reasonable salary and that's uh, taxed at you know, the appropriate tax rate as earned income. And everything else is a profit distribution. And then there's a couple other things that we're doing that are you know, a little bit more uh, technical because there's a number of companies involved and et cetera. But that's going to save me hundreds of thousands of dollars in tax I mean, that in just one year. That's, that's crazy. So that's why I'm I'm just amazed, and I have researched what they've told me. I've gone through, I've gone, and it's absolutely right. It's absolutely legit. It's absolutely appropriate, and I'm just so thankful, you know, so that's pretty cool. So, Michael, the other question I love to ask my guests is, what do you do to give back? Because I think that in addition to being observers, great entrepreneurs want to leave a mark. They want to somehow serve the greater good. So what do you do? Well, I, I sit on the board of two different nonprofits. Uh, one of them uh, focuses on rehabilitating uh, youth coming out of juvenile um, uh, detention centers, and the other one it focuses on uh, on eradicating bullying from schools. And both of those are important um, uh, important missions uh, for uh, me personally. So. My involvement there is very important to me, and I try to help in whatever way I can. So I take what I know as a business owner and try to help them, um, you know, advance uh, their cause, um, you know, through the skills that I've learned over time, and of course uh, through the things that I teach. And this way, uh, maybe we can uh, we can give back a little bit through those uh, particular environments. Well, and those are two very, very important causes, so I think that's yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Well, yeah, bullying, bullying to me is a big one because, look, if you have power, you, you best use that for good because if you if – you, look, my, my, anybody that bullies is a weakling. That's just all there is to it. You push people around, whether it's emotional bullying or physical bullying, you're a weakling. And anybody with real power uses it for good, uses it to help people, you know, especially those who ha- don't have – uh, as much power. So this is a, this is a big, big thing for me. And, uh, I do not stand for, for anybody pushing anybody else around. 
Well, Michael Port, thank you so much for being on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. I want to I sort of recap two things. Early on, I talked about the fact that uh, you had these calls, and I had said it had to do um, with, with uh, the Book Yourself Solid brand. But actually, I think the calls, because you said something, was the Think Big Revolution. That's right. They were, yeah. They were th- and they were once a week, they same were- time every week. And I just bring a different topic that I thought would help people think bigger about who they are and what they offer the world. And we had a great time. It was a real community of of, uh, of budding big thinkers. It was, and I and I can remember that I would I would sit in my office and and once a week just kind of close the door and join in. And sometimes I would listen, and sometimes I'd participate. But as you were talking, all of a sudden it sort of came back to me. I don't know if it was your voice or something that you said. And I really want to thank you because at the time I was just kind of writing my first book. I was thinking, oh, maybe I want to be a speaker. And now for six years I've been you know earning my living that way. But one of the things that I learned on those calls was you encouraged people to be bold. And, mm. you know, you said that today, something about being bold when I was asking what, you know, what you're doing that's cool. And I thought, wow, that's exactly when I think of my, Michael Port, what I got from those calls that I used to participate on. So I wanted to go back to that and say thank you. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That means the world to me. And yes, be bold, right? Because whose life are you living? Yours or your mother's or your <laughs> cousin's or the, you know, the, the catty people at the office who like to push others down to lift themselves up. This is your life. And, you know, I say, let's go focus on results and living our life rather than approval of others. So, so Michael, if someone is uh, new to you because they just heard this interview, how can they find you? Well, michaelport.com is a great place to start, michaelport.com. And you can get a whole bunch of free chapters uh, from my books there. And there are also links to the different things that we do uh, in uh, in our various companies. You can also go to heroicpublicspeaking.com, and right there on the front page is a download for 50 tips uh, that um, I promise you will absolutely change your speaking um, you know, immediately when you read and apply even just a few of them. So those are great places to go. And then bookyourselfsolid.com, of course, and there's free chapters from Book Yourself Solid there as well. But michaelport.com, heroicpublicspeaking.com, great places to start. Fantastic. And for everybody who tuned in to listen, this episode went a little bit long, but I think it was absolutely great in the stuff that Michael shared. And I can highly recommend you go and check out all the resources that he has at his various websites. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. I always say without the listeners, why would we do the show? So this is always good to have people who who tune in and listen. If you're listening to the show, send me a tweet at Cool Podcast or go to the Facebook page, Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. We'll be back in a couple of days with another interview. But in the meantime, Go out there and have a great day. Thank you for being part of the Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do podcast. Without your participation and listening to these conversations, there is no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter at, at TomSinger. This podcast was produced in part by Podfly.net. Podfly, passion for great sounding podcasts. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.